Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. Have all the spiritual warriors been practicing cutting down the mental chatter? How many have been working on that today? Okay, good. How many feel you've been successful, to some extent at least? Yeah? Okay. So tonight we'll go further with our process of deepening our understanding of the self and of the transcendence and elimination of the source of the chatter, the false self, the ego, that is a computer program that has no true being. And its lack of being creates all of the psychological problems that are plaguing the lives of those identified with the ego. And so all of the unhappiness that one might feel in one's life can be eliminated at a single stroke through eliminating the ego identity rather than working through each neurosis one at a time or each symptom in the body or each karmic glitch or whatever is the form that the suffering takes but one can be done with all of it at once and that approach is the most useful at this time But before we begin uh, the continuation of this uh, this talk on the sadhana, I want to ask Don Rolando to come up to read a poem that he sent me that I think is extremely relevant to the journey that we are all on together. And I appreciate his, uh, his sending it and his awareness of it. He's very well read and very attuned to a beautiful poetry that expresses deep feelings. And I would like you to, I don't know, wherever, can we have a chair for Don Rolando to come up and... Don't say Don, please. Well, <laughs> That's my dad. <laughs> it used to be. Now the torch is being passed. Oh, okay.
I uh, I'm very still very confused. And uh, when we were up here in the meeting where we were showing uh, what to do, what not to do, and then they played our your teaching, the first teaching you gave in regards of mm. the annihilation and the end of the world. And I got very angry. I was angry at you. Mm -hmm. I was angry at Mahalashmi. I think Kubert said something. I was angry at you too. <laughs> and, uh, somebody else said I was angry, and I was angry at myself. So I rushed down, ate, and went back to my cabin, angry. <laughs> Didn't know why. Um, very angry. In my anger, I did call for clearness because there was definitely something else behind that anger, right? But I still, I, I was still angry there. I called and then I went to sleep and I said, you know what? I'm not going to the meditation tomorrow morning. <laughs> as a rebel because I'm angry. <laughs> and, and I didn't. <laughs> so I woke up, I don't want to make this too long. And we had uh, art class, first one. And I was thinking all the way, I'm gonna get a red piece of chalk and Take, you know, put a paper there and just red, 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 red. Because I was angry. <laughs> I was angry. I'm, I'm serious. So I, I did that. I went there, sat down, sat down, and took a red piece of pizza uh, pastel and just started angry. And then, of course, it was calming, 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 uh, calming down. I was calming down. And so I did a, a picture there. And uh, when we were presenting, uh, all the pictures, Katrina, which, yeah, she wrote, she, she painted a beautiful picture, and she mentioned a river, and she mentioned an ocean, right? Uh, something sparked in my mind, and, and went, looked for something, and bring it back, and read it to them, it was a, it was a poem. At that moment, I was thinking about going to a session with Chunya, uh, because I was so angry and I was good. It's time. It's good time to, uh, you know, tell him I'm angry. So I read it and went to the to the session and uh, I started by telling him I was angry at him. Of course, 45 minutes later, heading with my eyes full of tears and heading out of the session, um, I had realized that I was I wasn't angry at any of you, right? And uh, so I sat down at the tree of life and. I was crying a lot. And um, then I realized that God had answered my calling in the form of a poem earlier that day. And uh, here's the poem. I'm very emotional, so I might break a little bit, but uh, I'm going to try to read it to you guys. It's a poem from Khalil Gibram. And the answer from God for my anger was this poem called Fear. And it goes like this. It is said that before entering the sea, a river, a river trembles with fear. She looks back at the path she has traveled from the peaks of the mountains, the long and winding road crossing forests and villages. And in front of her, she sees an ocean so vast that to enter there seems nothing more than to disappear forever. But 
There is no other way. The river cannot go back. Nobody can go back. To go back is impossible in existence. The river needs, needs to take the risk of entering the ocean. Because only then will fear disappear. Because that's where the river will know that it is not about disappearing into the ocean, but of becoming the ocean. May you realize your oceanic being. <laughs> yes, I think it was very clear. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you very much. No, thank you. I think that poem does beautifully express the terror that the ego feels as it recognizes it is about to dissolve into the ocean of consciousness and will lose its identity forever, but that it's a gain without a loss because what it's losing is simply fear and suffering and uh, mortality and uh, desires that are a dead end that simply create more suffering. And it is the obstacle to one's bliss uh, so that at a certain moment one crosses past the fear and doesn't let it hold one back and then one realizes the infinite nature of the self that one always was, that the river originally was the ocean that simply took a journey of ascent and then descent and then back to the source and that it's done it many times, as we all have, and that this journey home is always a blissful return that gives us back everything we had thought we had lost. And it brings us infinite treasures. And it compensates for all the karmic suffering that we had to go through in order to regain our bliss. And then all that had been conceived as suffering is realized as wisdom, as perfection, as beauty. And we inculcate, we integrate all of that power that is gained through the total acceptance of the whole cosmic process and all of the lifetimes and all of the cosmic nuances of our projection into this holographic matrix and all of it is recognized as never having been anything other than the mind of God expressing itself in a dream in which all of its infinite permutations of potentiality could be totally expressed and then all could return fulfilled into the glory of the Absolute. And we are now at the moment of that return to the glory of our being.
and the end of the suffering of the illusion. And in that oceanic consciousness comes again the power to create new rivers, new worlds, new mountains that the rivers can journey through, and new experiences, new adventures that we do because there is love for that unknown astonishment that comes when God forgets who she is and has to relearn the true nature of our essence through the shock and awe that comes, through the realization that we are deathless, that we are immortal, that we sometimes do not discover until the moment of death, but that if we can gain while still alive, then life itself becomes a kingdom of heaven, an act of beauty, a total wonderland of the capacity to create within the phenomenal illusion the full embodiment of the supreme ecstasy and the supreme power of creative imagination manifesting all possibility in space and time and not simply in the ocean but that even in that meandering of the river itself, it is divinized and it becomes a holy river, a holy Ganges, in which whoever dips into it is saved. And that is our role now, to become such sacred rivers of truth, of love, of divine power, that whoever even encounters us and sees the beauty of the flow of our divine energy will be liberated from their illusions and their pain. And that is why all the rivers have gathered here in a confluence that is the true Kumbamela that no longer happens in India, but has transferred its essence to Costa Rica. And it's a great joy to share the ocean with all of the sacred riverine gods and goddesses who are willing and able to swaha the ego into the ocean and create a communion of all of us as a single consciousness that can transform the world. To accomplish this, <clears throat> we have to be willing to realize we are not the ego and never were. But the ego, as I think beautifully expressed in this poem by Khalil Gibran, the ego is fear-based. Underneath anger is always fear. 
<laughs> and fear creates sadness, it creates attachment, it creates greed, it creates lust, it creates uh, all of the various emotional vices that produce karmic backlash and dam up the river, and l- literally dam the river, <clears throat> to be unable to flow to the ocean. And so we must break through these blocks of fear in order to reach the fullness of our being. So that's really it in a nutshell. There is not much else that we need to talk about theoretically. It's a matter now of doing it. And the way to do it is to not entertain these river-like narratives of the ego, the mental chatter that produces the fear. And the moment we disidentify from all the fearful ideas and images, all the, the awfulizing, all the tendencies to see the dark side of things, all the tendencies uh, to believe in lack and in doom and in um, impotence and incompetence and a sense of hopelessness and shipwreckedness, that all of those illusions of the ego can be stopped simply through the refusal to entertain those thought patterns. And if we refuse for a significant amount of time, we extinguish the patterns of thought and emotion and impulse that produce uh, acting out of the ego and continuation of suffering. And all of the ego's thoughts are draining. They weaken the immune system. They hold one in an affirmation of negation, an affirmation of fear and of lack. So we never want to be on the side of the ego. We always want to side with the light, with the power, with the real, and to cut down the ego's enjoyment of its usurpation of our mental space and take over manual control over the mind until the ego is gone and the mind of God comes in and replaces it. That ocean of infinite being. And we become embodiments of that mind, not of a mind created in infancy through imitation of our biological parents and their fears and their defense mechanisms. And so the ego is never authentic. It's always an imitation. And it's an imitation of an imitation of an imitation. And it's a hodgepodge because it imitates the mother, the father, some siblings, some uncles, aunts, grandparents. It's, it has no consistency or continuity or unity. Always at war with itself. Always in conflict always in gridlock and paralysis. And so the 
ego then is in flight from itself and from its inability to decide to, to break through and lead a fulfilling life. And that running away, that denial, creates even more difficulties in life that then produce problems that we cannot understand because they are derivative of the real problem which is the inauthentic nature of the identity. So it's only by breaking through the lie of the ego and establishing ourselves in the truth of our being that we free ourselves from all of the negative symptoms that the ego produces. And then that energy of love and light and power and truth and beauty become the radiance of our being that can touch others with the same beauty and magic of liberation. So, this is the function of a Satyogi, to be liberated and a liberator. But the step of being liberated from the ego requires a ruthless refusal of the sentimentality of the ego that wants to hold on to the old comfort zones, the old relationships of meaningless uh, collusions with other people and identifications with family systems that are dysfunctional. And it pays a huge price to pretend that it knows who it is. But all of those bases of the security of the ego lead only to massive insecurity. Because all of the people that the ego holds on to to keep its identity secure, they are insecure. They are shaking in anxiety. And so no one... Uh, has a, a ground in real being so long as they're in ego consciousness and you become drawn down to the lowest common denominator of all of those beings to whom you're attached emotionally and all fall into the quicksand of lostness and inauthentic being. So we have to have the courage of getting out of that swamp and only then can we help pull out others. Okay. So as I said last night, we are beginning a boot camp or an intensive retreat but a much more uh, focused and consistent uh, sadhana, spiritual practice, to accelerate our ability to break through and be free of the ego once and for all. So I want to create conditions here for everyone who will be here through this coronavirus uh, blessing that allows us to have this retreat, uh, to really make use of it to make this Noah's Ark seaworthy 
and so that all crew members are in top condition uh, to be able to row or put up the sails when necessary or to deal with reefs or whatever we have to encounter and to be fearless and in attunement with that supreme intelligence so that we all work together as a whole and without any conflicts and in a state of fearless love for the mission that we are on. And along the way we may pick up stragglers who are in the flood uh, begging to be uh, saved from uh, their denial that the flood was coming. And so we will have uh, much work to do. Much work to do locally and much work to do in our light bodies non-locally. As we transcend the physical vehicle, we will come more and more to function through the subtle vehicle. And we will be called on to work as angelic beings on a dimension of our consciousness that transcends the plane that the ego is used to operating on. And this too is something that we must fearlessly uh, accept and, and be willing to fly like Garuda. We have one Garuda here but we're going to have many Garudas and uh, Vishnu needs uh, an army of, or an air force I should say of, uh, of vehicles who can fly to wherever they are needed to send love and uh, peace to those who are suffering and we must be egoless enough to be willing to serve at any time of day in whatever body we are called to do it in or bodiless in the infinite consciousness of the ultimate light field of Brahman but we will be called to serve and in some very astonishing ways and situations that we will soon encounter in the near future that will bring great joy to many if we have conquered all the traces of paranoia of the ego. So I'm, I was thinking today of uh, what, what should be the reading material for this retreat. And uh, if we were in a... Uh, a, a Jewish spiritual school, which they call a yeshiva, by the way, uh, we would be studying uh, the Torah and the Talmud. Those are the two major books that, that one studies in most yeshivas, unless it's a Hasidic yeshiva, and then you'll study the Baal Shem Tov's writings and uh, the, the, the lineage of Hasidic masters as well. But still, the Torah and the Talmud are the basic uh, sources of wisdom. Well, I don't actually think they are the best sources of wisdom uh, right now that is relevant to us. And so I asked myself, what are the two uh, uh, books? What would really function as equivalents 
that will give us the, uh, the information we need in as uh, powerful and potent a form uh, that, that we need in order to unlock the subtle levels of our intelligence. And, and uh, Shiva quickly uh, conferred the answers. And so the reason I'm going to be sharing these two books with you tonight is I want us to um, be able to make copies quickly in town for whoever wants them so we don't have to go to town later while it's still uh, safe to do this kind of thing and to, uh, to have the books available to begin uh, doing a double book group here that I will lead in the, in the coming weeks, okay? So uh, our Torah is the Shiva Sutras. And, uh, and this is uh, an incredible book. Uh, I think that there are many translations, but I think this one by Jai Deva Singh is the most accurate. I'm not sure if this is online. I will hope you find out if it is. It wasn't in the live gen, but I think it might be somewhere. And some people here have copies of Who has a copy of this uh, version of the Shiva Sutras? Durga has it, no? Okay. Okay. Well, you have it? It's, we, we used a different cover because it was the hardback that you probably copied back then. I have that also. So I'll give you my copy if we don't have uh, another one to uh, send down there. So that one I want to, um, to have everyone read and we will analyze it together. But to me, even more important in some ways is uh, the, uh, the book that was written uh, even earlier, much earlier, probably around uh, 300 BC in China, by a great uh, sage and who, who I would consider the grandfather of the crazy wisdom tradition. His name is Zhuang Tzu. It used to be spelled pretty much with a C-H-U-A-N-G-T-Z-U, but now uh, it's, it's mostly Z-H-U-A-N-G-Z-I. But Zhuang Tzu who is often considered the second Taoist, I consider to be the first Taoist, and uh, even though the Tao Te Ching is what most people relate to Taoism, but the Tao of Zhuang Tzu and his way of expressing it has more practical wisdom, I think, for us than any other uh, writing I've encountered. And so it's, uh, I think it'll be very useful for us to read it together and to uh, go into its depths. So those will be the, the two books that I hope everyone will get. You can, as I say, I think you can read it online, but you can also, uh, we'll have copies printed for those who want them. How many people have read Zhuang Tzu already? Anyone here? No? Okay, good. It's, it's, uh, it's a book that has inspired many sages throughout history, there's a famous uh, analysis of, of it by Thomas Merton, and there are uh, many other books about the, the Zhuangzi. It's divided into inner chapters and outer chapters, and it seems that the first seven inner chapters, so-called, were written by Zhuangzi, the, the sage, and the other chapters were written by later commentators and aren't all of the same quality. 
but uh, the uh, the power of the inner chapters is so great that I think that we will be transformed just by reading it if we do it with uh, a depth of understanding of what is being expressed in a in a very powerful way. The difficulty and the reason I chose this translation is translating ancient Chinese into modern English is very difficult. And if you read different versions in English, uh, you get uh, every version gives you a different uh, zhuangzi. I think this translation by Brooks Zipporin is the most intelligent. It's footnoted, so he gives all the alternative options for the ambiguous ideograms of Chinese and to how they should be translated. Uh, but I think his version is the most intelligent and the most uh, plausible that I've run into. And I think it will uh, be very useful to to encounter it and read the footnotes and and understand the uh, the subtlety and the multi-leveled thought that is being presented by this great sage. And it will enable us to begin to develop a much more multi-dimensional intelligence just by studying it in its, uh, its true significance as a teaching instrument. So that's, that's what we're going to be doing in the coming days and weeks. So I think that right now I would uh, like to open the floor and see how people feel about this work that we're doing in this extraordinary situation in world history in which the world is going into lockdown. Pretty much every day another country locks down, which is why I want to make sure that the people who are leaving here now leave in time so that they can get home and that we are able to, uh, to have every uh, preparation complete before we start having uh, real uh, shortages of supplies that will be inevitable very soon, or already happening, but in a, a much more uh, major way. And none of us should be in denial as to how extensive the shock effects on our lives are going to be by this and that it may extend for a very long time. So the, uh, and when it, when it finally it peters out as a, a disease, the economic collapse effects of it will last. That won't be repairable. And so that will bring about other effects of social dissolution and increase of crime and chaos and anxiety and every other possible uh, chaotic, incoherent uh, death of uh, civilization and culture. So we want to keep the torch of that alive, but to do that we have to be in a very powerful state of consciousness in which there is no fear of anything that occurs within this appearance, this illusory world. So we must be disinvested from worldly attachments and invested in the transcendental consciousness that is 
not affected by anything that occurs within space-time. Okay, so the floor is open. Thank you. I was wondering about how you know that your heart is really open to God and you're just not thinking it or being fooled by the ego. And if the practical steps to making sure that your heart is open to God are the same as we were talking about yesterday uh, for raising your vibration. Well, an easy answer to that is you'll be able to remain in silence without thinking because thinking is itself a defense against anxiety. Thinking diverts you from being present and feeling how your body is feeling. And the thinking itself, at a very subtle level, produces fear. That's already like embedded in the core of the ego's identity. So if there is love of God, that energy will dissipate all the fear and will enable you to be silently present in a state of love. Okay? And if you can sustain that, then you know that you are attuned to that source of love that is transcendent. Namaste. I wanted to share a thought that came into my mind. In Indian astrology, the 12th house, or one of the 12 segments of the sky that is Mm -hmm. used to analyze a horoscope, uh, signifies incarceration. Uh, but it also signifies the seclusion of the monk. And uh, depending on the condition of the planets, whether they're afflicted or unafflicted, uh, what is the greatest fear for one is the greatest blessing for the other. Mm -hmm. Because one deprives you of freedom and the other grants you real freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that it's in the same Mm -hmm. segment Mm -hmm. of of life. It's just how one takes it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, as uh, you were saying, you know, this opportunity or this blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. um, hopefully will be a reason for not only us here, but more and more people everywhere to come back to themselves mm-hmm. and find that the total distraction that life has become is unnecessary and is a loss, not a gain. Yes, I think that's very true, Kuber. <clears throat> I'm not sure that everyone's going to take advantage of it that way, but uh, it certainly is the case that, uh, that the world is being uh, perhaps forcibly uh, 
brought into monastic conditions. <clears throat> and you know, the, the work that you do in an ashram is called tapas. And tapas is often translated as penance. And the original prisons were penitentiaries because that's where people were put to have penance for the crimes they committed. And it was intended to be a kind of a monastic situation in which you were able to reconsider your life and give up the vices and criminal tendencies and come out as a, a citizen who is now able to be virtuously part of the community. I think it has lost uh, that uh, ability to help people grow and, and instead has a very degrading effect on the consciousness of prisoners. But that was at least the original intention when uh, the world was more sattvic than it is today. So I appreciate that, that insight. Thank you. Anyone else? Here's a microphone. Yeah. You spoke, uh, I don't remember it was last night or this morning, about psychic contamination. Contagion. Contagion. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd like to understand that better because um, I feel there's, there's two scenarios happening, maybe many more, but that I'm seeing that seem to be very obvious with this situation. And one is that of denial. Uh, it's not so bad. It, you know, it's not going to, this is going to pass quickly or it's not a big deal, whatever it is. And then there's the other one, which is a total paranoia and uh, which is leading uh, rulers or presidents and, and um, other authorities to, to, to take some measures that are in themselves creating a domino effect for others. And it just, it seems uh, unstoppable. So how does psychic contamination happen and ca how can one... Uh, I don't want to say protect oneself, but not participate of it. Because even if you're uh, potentially not in a paranoid or fearful situation, the energy field around you can actually take over that. And I, I, I see that happening. In, in oh, yeah, sure. Can you speak a little about that? And how mm. can one protect oneself and not participate? Is this where Viveka comes in? Yeah, thank you. That's a very important question. <clears throat> One of the attributes of the ego level of consciousness is <clears throat> that it is prone to hysteria. And there is a, a well-known phenomenon called mass hysteria, right? It's literally catchy. And you get a few people who get hysterical and then suddenly that spreads. And, and that, that has spread rumors and, and it spreads uh, false beliefs, conspiratorial ones, right, that, that can lead to mob rule and all kinds of uh, nasty uh, social uh, movements and, and uh, events of, uh, uh, of great uh, collective stupidity and violence and savagery. Lord of the Flies is another example, right, within uh, recent uh, literature and films. But there are many films, I think, that show that. Uh, so the, there is a tendency when people are together to uh, attune vibrationally. 
it's well known that women living together will eventually have their menstrual periods at the same time. And, and so there, there is this uh, connection that literally can change your biological clocks and can change your psychological uh, calibration. And so because the ego learns how to, to function and becomes an ego through imitation, mimesis, uh, it is prone to uh, be uh, unconsciously mimetic with whoever is its, in its environment. And whatever is the dominant note within that uh, environment will be the one that can take over very easily. And because the ego is fear-based, if the fear and neediness is hit, if that's triggered, then all kinds of reactions, uh, anger and, and, and terror and violence, willingness to kill over a loaf of bread and, and all of that, that we already start to see in many places, is very easily triggered on a mass basis. So it, that's, that's one of the reasons to get out of the ego quick, because you won't be immune to being affected by other people's terror, anger, fear, and, and their uh, incoherent thinking processes. So if you want to, to have coherent, peaceful capacity to navigate your way through this logically and intelligently, you don't want to be in the ego. You need to be at least in soul consciousness. And uh, yes, it's something that we, we, we have to watch out for and protect our community energy field from ever being infected by a fear virus, which is much worse than the, 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 the other kind. So uh, I think that's pretty much all I can say about it at the moment, except that uh, the, uh, the work of doing, of meditating, the more that you do it, the more that you silence the mind, the more that your willpower can overcome these tendencies. You can nip them in the bud. You'll see them beginning to build up. But if you're in denial and if you're in the ego, then it's very easy to be suddenly overwhelmed by tsunamis of emotion that then cause you to do things that are not very intelligent. And then it's too late after that to uh, often uh, recover. So it is, it is the, uh, the first level of defense is to not have any uh, uh, vulnerability to that contagion. To become psychically immune. Okay. So thank you. Um, Shing, I wanted to. I feel inspired to share how inspired I am. Okay. <laughs> uh, to a great delight and surprise, <laughs> feeling this. And I'm very appreciative of the poem that was read because it helped me understand. Um, I, I really resonated with that trembling river. Mm -hmm. And I feel it's about to be poured and flushed into this <laughs> ocean. Mm -hmm. And um, I, 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 have, I feel that trembling mm -hmm. and have been projecting it a lot. And I realized yesterday how much um, denial I was in mm. of what's actually happening. Mm. Um, or at least a more subtle level to understand how, how much denial mm -hmm. I have not um, accepted. And 
when I was able to see that um, and feel and, and understand the anger and the fear connection tonight, mm-hmm. um, just realizing that yesterday and and also really practicing what you said of not entertaining those those mm-hmm. the chatter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, something, there was a barrier that has been crossed or entered. I don't know how to explain it. But uh, sitting down tonight, there was so much more peace than I've experienced in quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Like a little droplet that Shiva, hey, Shiva. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that, yeah, Shiva. That's a good one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just to, just to share that inspiration and um, as if uh, hearing, hearing for the first time. And so, thank you. All right. That's beautiful. Thank you. And uh, yes, we're all in the unknown now, right? The, wor- the normal world is collapsed. Uh, we-, we are in uh, a world that uh, is unprecedented, and uh, things can happen that no one would have predicted. It's out of control of any uh, human beings, even the deep states of, of various kinds. That there, there is no... Uh, power now that can uh, keep this uh, process that is uh, decomposing society before our eyes from uh, running its course. And so uh, we have to hold on to that one source of security and power that we have because all the others are about to fall away. So thank you for that. Um, I've been um, surprised um, at the exponential rate of how things have been developing. Where we were last Sunday and where we are today in terms of how this has developed is even beyond my wildest imaginings. And I'm quite... uh, I have a a good imagination when it comes to (laughs) these kind of things, but it's surpassed even that. Um, But my question is, this exponentiality and it's going to the exponential rate is going to mm-hmm. increase. It's going to get, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ashoka keeps reminding us that we, we haven't really seen it anything yet. But mm-hmm. but I'm one, my question is is it is it possible that the exponential rate of of our spiritual liberation mm-hmm. and the unprecedentedness of the work that we're doing here can be equal to that? <laughs> you got it. A very great insight. Hold that thought. <laughs> Indeed. In fact, we have to be ahead of the curve. We have to ride the wave and, uh, and bring the new creation into place as the old one is being destroyed by its own terror. So, yes, uh, we, we are able to do it. And that's why this is happening, so we can have uh, a full-on, intensive, uh, uh, conscious work to accelerate it exponentially and to uh, completely uh, annihilate the ego during this crisis when everyone realizes how important it is to do that. And, and, and things don't get calm again and we forget and go back into a complacency. So this is the moment that is going to heighten everyone's awareness of how important this is 
and then we'll break through very easily and we'll start to hear all the popcorn popping in the room as each yogi becomes liberated and filled with radiant bliss. You might be first. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. Do you have anything else you want to add? All right. Thank you. There's a taker. Oh, oh, you, you did it. <laughs> I don't know what I did, but um, <laughs> I want to ask about concentration. Concentration camps, or well, that's really what this is now, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So how do we turn that negative image of what a concentration camp is into a, a camp of focus and really finding that clarity? I feel like there's a yearning for clarity that we all have, that we want to be able to feel certainty and, and no doubt about what it is that we're making a choice to do and and where does that really come from and how do we find that? Because it seems whenever I try to concentrate and to focus the mind, there's so much distraction. There's so many uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> streams away from the river that disperse the energy. Mm-hmm. Very good question. It's the very desire for certainty that is the problem. And, and that desire creates a chaos because we are not living in a world in which certainty is possible. All right? Quantum physics figured that out. Heisenberg's principle of indeterminacy uh, made that clear at the most fundamental level of, uh, of the phenomenal plane. The logic is one of uncertainty, and it's built into it. It's not simply a matter of lack of information. So the reason you can't have certainty and that you don't want certainty is that if there were certainty, there wouldn't be freedom. So God represents the freedom of consciousness that is not subject to laws of nature uh, or to any particular logical unfoldment. Miracles can happen. and uh, What could be more uncertain than a miracle, Right? But would you want to rule out miracles in order to have certainty that we're doomed? I don't think so. Okay, so we want the uncertainty, but what we want to do is to magnify the uh, probability that what will unfold is not a negative, uh, indeterminable event, but the most positive uncertainty becomes the reality. Right? And the way we do that is we vibrate at the highest level of coherence and of unified consciousness so that what will happen will be win-win for everyone and, and not a situation of, of loss and defeat and chaos. So the certainty that we have is the certainty of our own freedom that is beyond the ability to know or to determine in advance or to feel secure about on any physical, egoic level. It's a freedom that transcends all limits. And that freedom is what makes it possible to bring the miraculous into play. Okay? 
And once we are in that level of consciousness, we are also able to see the future and the past, all as happening at now, all as present. We, we are in another dimension where all of time is laid out for us. And although it's uncertain at ground level of flatland, it's not at all uncertain from that high level at which the optimum result, because God is benign and, and benevolent, the ultimate outcome is going to be positive. But the ego might not feel it as positive if the ego is out of sync with that high level of consciousness. That's why some people will think this is a catastrophe that's happening in the world and others realize it's a blessing. Okay? There's, that's part of the uncertainty is the perspective that different egos take upon reality. If you get to the level of God consciousness, nothing is uncertain. It's all written. It's, it's all absolutely clear. But at that level, then, there, there, there is perfection already here and therefore no worries about what's going to happen. So the more that you surrender to that highest consciousness, the more that the perfection of, of God's will will be able to be seen in every moment and there'll be no need to try to hold on to some security of a thought form in the mind, all right? Because thought can never bring truth. It, can, it is never accurate. The only way to accurately perceive reality is to go beyond the level of attempts to understand it in logic or language or mathematics or any other symbolic form, because all of them fail. As Kurt Gödel so showed, Every logical system has a point of failure in which there will be an inconsistent or uh, incomplete uh, ability to find uh, an answer within that system. And right now all systems are collapsing and we have to go beyond understanding, which is derivative of the one who is giving us the understanding at whatever level we get it at, and to that source of understanding, then it is already known, but not thought. And that's why we have to get to silence, the silence of God, not the silence of being you know, blanked out and, and drunk into oblivion or something, but the silence of God consciousness will bring us the understanding that, that passeth understanding, that is able to uh, give us total security and peace and joy and uh, astonishment at the perfection of this intricate uh, puzzle and journey and video game that we're all involved in that is bringing us to the highest outcome beyond anything anyone could imagine. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I had a, a question about the word "dam." Is it related to damnation, dam and damnation? Probably. <laughs> uh, it, it seems to have a very similar function. I think when one is damned, then it, in the with the n added onto it, it means that one doesn't flow toward God anymore. One is stuck in a hell realm, 
uh, of, a, of a desert, of a burning uh, fire, or of a frozen stagnation, so that the, when you flow, then you reach the ocean of consciousness. So it is the same. Yeah, uh, the poem and, uh, made me think about that and your explanation of flow and dams, mm. that most rivers now in the world don't reach the ocean. That's true. It's very sad. Yeah. And there's nothing more sad than see a river like 100 meters from the ocean that, and it dries up yeah. before. It. I saw it a lot in Ecuador and the U.S. has like most of the rivers are dammed and they don't reach the ocean anymore. Mm. And China too has dammed yeah. most of them. So yeah. I was thinking how it reflects the world, nature. Sure. It's reflecting the state yeah. of our egos, I guess. And uh-huh. Oh, yes. I think how it's a perfect metaphor for the yeah. ego that cannot reach the ocean of consciousness. And yeah. it's so sad. Like it's, it's really horrible to see that. Like it, it's depressing mm-hmm. uh, as a landscape. So yeah. I it, hope... It's like that Goethe quote I, I gave the other night. Everything in the world is a reference to that uh, supreme level of understanding and uh, a metaphor for what's happening within us at an ego level. Yeah. So I'm understanding more this let's say, ecological catastrophes that I used to see, now I see them as human, like our, our mm-hmm. ego catastrophes. Mm-hmm. Same with garbage. Like, if this thing continues, yeah. garbage is going to disappear, or at least stop <laughs> being produced. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a miracle. Like, it's, it's the best thing that could happen, at least to waste management. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a really... So many ramifications in in the nature world that mm-hmm. that are being shown, or I, I'm starting to connect dots mm-hmm. that are pretty obvious, and um, so I'm very grateful. I was going to ask about the books you suggest, the cultivating empty field. Is that along the same lines? Could That's we a midrash uh, to use the Jewish term. I, I think it's. Uh, a, a derivative commentary on the ultimate principles mm. that expresses it very poetically. Mm. But there are nuances of the application of wisdom in strategic constructs or, or, or uh, 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 situations that, uh, that one needs to understand to be able to respond accurately to difficult uh, conflicts. And I think uh, Zhuangzi gives a beautiful understanding of how one arrives at true leadership in the world from a spiritual perspective. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Durga. Hello. Um, I feel like there's so much I want to say. Um, there's been an interesting kind of calm this week. Mm. And um, I've been reflecting a lot on what's, what's going on. And I feel like perhaps my ego feels it has permission now to really focus on this new level of raising consciousness to you know, really following a spiritual life and not just kind of some version of spirituality that I can still um, put in a box that my family can accept. You know what I mean? And I think... It's silly that, that would, it would have to come to this, that I would need to feel permission. But um, I'm reflecting on that, as, and I see it also, act, I see how that 
uh, happens in the world as well. That um, you know, in my lifetime, I was in London at the London bombings, and there's been different di- disasters that have happened ever more. And you see that society actually. Um, it's only temporary, but there's suddenly like this opening and people start being nice to each other and there's like this um, non-egoic, it seems, reactivity, but it tends to last like 24 hours or a week at the most. And I was reflecting on that in response. to That's kind of how, you know, there's been the past months like some stuckness, like I just want something and I, I, and I haven't been able to really find it myself and, and therefore within my version of what's going on, like I had to create something karmically to happen in order to, mm-hmm. to move me forwards. And, and I'm, I guess my question is, is that what we're all doing collectively? We're not waking up. We all know that there's that yearning inside. So we've had mm-hmm. to create this karmic event in order to wake us up. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a, also a very good question, a very deep question. And it goes to the fact that the ego is a system. It's, it's not a unified consciousness. And, and the ego proper is a child, a, a scared child, and it is dealing with a superego figure in your mind. That superego gives commands to the child. And, and the superego represents the way you were supposed to be as a child to get your parents' approval, Right? And even when you're an adult, that command system is still internalized. And that prevents you from uh, differentiating yourself from your family and individuating and discovering who you are beyond anything they could have taught you. It keeps you loyal to their image of you. And so it's an internalized uh, crippling device that keeps you from growing because they didn't want you to grow and leave them and be out of control and not there for them in the way they wanted, etc. So that command system, uh, which is reflected in the command system of society, when that system breaks down externally, the command system internally loses its legitimacy temporarily. And then you get to be different and to respond differently and change the patterns. And, and once you've changed the patterns, make sure that you get rid of the superego entirely so it doesn't tell you now you've got to get back and be the old version of yourself that we wanted you to be. But you have a margin now of freedom from the penitentiary of that system to be able to grow to a point where you would never go back into it. Mm-hmm. Just to respond, um, I, I understand now why, like all week, you know, I've been reading different articles and hearing different ideas, and this, anything that informs me that this is going to go on for a long time, I, I get excited. Like, okay, I want it to be as long as possible. <laughs> why? Because there's that gap mm-hmm. is appearing where I feel like I don't have to follow these other rules of the yeah. superego. So mm-hmm. it's making me see I'm not just some, not, um, what's the word? It's not that I want a bad outcome, but I, mm-hmm. it feels exciting that the, mm-hmm. okay, the world has to wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a suspension of the norms, and therefore it gives you freedom from the internal norms of what you're supposed to do for the parental superego figures. Uh, but don't depend on that, right? You want to free yourself from the inner system, and, and not just because temporarily the world is externally in a, in a chaos that you're free to escape. 
but we'll have to go back. You want to burn down the prison uh, and, and not uh, have uh, any ego to go back to, right? Like Cortez burned his ships, so there was no choice. You had to conquer Mexico or die, but you weren't going to go back. Uh, and, and we have to uh, be in such a condition that we've burned the ego, we can't go back to it, now it's God consciousness or, uh, or the void, but that's it. And, there, and the void is God consciousness, so there's nothing to fear, but you've, you've got to keep going and, and never let fear dam up the river until it hits the ocean. All right, so thank you. Are we over time? We're getting there. Any last uh, burning or flowing questions? <laughs> You've got one, yes. You were talking uh, last night about time. And it seems to me in this exponential, um, I don't even know if to call it behavior, but this situation in which we are and as we approach what has been called the end of time or mm -hmm. times, Uh, and the beginning of a new, mm -hmm. let's say, cycle of time, mm -hmm. literally. Um, what is the, um, what exactly is happening? Because I, I do feel things are speeding up precisely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're abnormally growing in patterns that were not the patterns that we were following mm -hmm. as a, let's say, society, humanity group. Uh, but w how is it related to time, and what exactly mm. is happening with time mm. at this time? <laughs> okay. Or in this present, I don't even know. Right, no, it's a very important question. I think it has to be approached at three levels. At, at the level of the world as a system, the system is now at the edge of chaos. Mm -hmm. And when it does that, it will go through a phase transition. And suddenly all of this uh, huge chaotic activity will shift into the next higher uh, zone of consciousness and, and then there will be sudden stillness and, and, and we'll be in a, a new world, all right? Why does that happen? Because exponentially yogis are reaching a point of being able to silence the mind completely. Now when a critical number of yogis are able to sustain total, I mean total, absolute mental silence, complete flatlining, what that does, because the, the world is a reflection of consciousness, of our consciousness, right? This is a collective dream. When we stop the mind, we literally stop time. Time will come to an end, and we will be in the timeless. And when time stops, then what that means is that the power that has created time, that eternal presence, will be fully here. That's the revelation. And that fullness of magical power will turn all of the apparent world in, back into the divine light that it really is, into Brahman. And then the new dream will appear uh, from, uh, from what had been a, a space that what you thought was a world turns out to be a holodeck, and then a new world appears uh, in the space of, of what had been there, <clears throat> but without uh, any memory of what had, uh, was there uh, when you're in the new. There, there will be literally a new world with a whole different set of understandings and even memories. 
In the same way that you know the movie Blade Runner, the replicants are created with memories implanted, right? They didn't actually happen, okay? We have that situation. Many of our memories as egos actually didn't really happen. They're either whitewashed versions of what you wanted to happen or what you were told to believe happened, etc. But we will also have a new world in which there'll be no memory of all the suffering that led up to that uh, stoppage of time. And then it's re-beginning at a higher level of consciousness. So we're going into that situation where we're going to reach uh, a new phase of consciousness and it will bring about a reflection as a new world. Okay. So it's, that's why it's called the Omega Point. It's literally the end and then the, the Alpha begins again. But the Omega and the Alpha are not separated in time because it's timeless, literally, in that gap. And we are now approaching, at the same time as everything is speeding up exponentially, because yogis are rising in consciousness, slowing down their minds, we will feel like time is actually slowing down and seeing everything in slow motion. And that's another reason we won't be afraid of what's happening, because we'll be able to understand it enough ahead of the curve to be able to respond before uh, things get out of control because everything will be seen uh, as uh, that, uh, uh, let's say, unfoldment of the video game that can be regulated into how fast it moves. And one can slow it down to the point that one can insert miraculous uh, events uh, between one moment and the next. Okay, so much for the secrets of yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we will have to develop those for real and not just theorize about them. And when the mind is able to be completely mastered and silenced, you will uh, understand from within how these powers can be developed. This is the basis of cities, and uh, it is uh, something that we will naturally discover once we have reached egoless consciousness and they will be then used in the service of God. Okay, was there any other question before we adjourn? Going once, twice. All right. Has this been a useful gathering? Would you like to have uh, updates regularly and, and, and meetings like this to answer questions? Because it will be exponentially uh, shifting every day and it probably will be good to be able to uh, uh, connect with each other and uh, share thoughts and uh, whatever, uh, brainstorming and uh, dealing with uh, uh, potential uh, dangers and understanding how to flow with all of the unfoldments that we are encountering. Okay. Thank you all for being such great spiritual warriors. And I have no doubt that everyone is going to pass the tests that you'll be facing and that we will face as a community and that we will flow through all of those dams and break through them easily because of our collective will uh, to serve God and our uh, faith, our goodness, our love, our trust, and our devotion to the liberation 
of our own ego, from our own ego, and of the world from its collective oppression. So thank you all for devoting yourselves to this highest of all possible tasks. And you have my support, and we all have each other's support in being successful and having the power that we need to be victorious over the illusion. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.